0: It is always an incredible privilege to, for me to be here on, uh, on Sunday mornings and get a chance to talk to you. Whenever Mac, whenever Mac asks me, I, he says, Terry, can you preach for me? And he gives me the date. And, and I'll say yes, because I love it. I love being able to come to you. In fact, you're an answer to, to, my, to a prayer that I prayed uh, a number of years. God, goodness gracious, this probably been close to 20 years ago. And, and I asked God to keep me around on planet Earth until I get a chance to declare his greatness to the next generation. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm not of the same generation many of you are. And, uh, and so it's just an incredible privilege for me to be able to talk about to you about how incredibly wonderful uh, God, God is. Did you know that the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he prayed for you? I, I'm not joking, he really did. And now now think about this. He prayed, whatever he prayed for you, it must have been really important because this was the night before he would be ridiculed and abused and bruised and finally crucified. And during knowing that that was coming, for him to look forward to more than 2,000 years and see a need that you have and then pray for you, that must be pretty important. There's a Christian counselor by the name of Larry Crabb. And Larry Crabb, after seeing thousands of people come into his office, had, had sort of uh, classified or, or divided uh, people's needs and their longings into three different levels. On the very outside, I think it's coming up here, I think it's coming. It's supposed to be coming up here. On the outside, he, he called them casual longings. And though, those are the things that we face every day. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? The list goes on and on and on and on. And then if we come in a little closer to our, to our soul, we have what's called critical longings. And these are those longings that have to do with the quality of our life. Uh, They may have to do with a career. Uh, It it may have to do with our marriage or our family or our health. Those things that are really important to us in order to have the quality of life that we all hope that we're going to have. But then on the very inside of us, right there where our soul is, are what Larry Crabb called crucial longings. And those longings cannot be satisfied with a right career It cannot be satisfied by marrying the right person. In fact, actually, there is no human being on this earth that can satisfy those crucial longings. Those longings can only be satisfied by God. And when Jesus prayed for you more than 2,000 years ago, one of the topics that he mentioned in his prayer relates to satisfying those crucial Longings. I first noticed those crucial longings when I was in college, and uh, I, th- I think it was a sophomore. And like a lot of people, my college kids, uh, we start wondering, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? what What do I want to give my life to? And and actually, it was those longings that that caused me or, or prompted me to become a Christ follower. But to my surprise, becoming a Christ follower did not satisfy those crucial longings. Although I did have the sense that I was at least on the right path. But now let's think about that. If becoming a Christ follower will not satisfy those crucial longings, then what will? Let's pray. Lord God, Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege that you have given me To talk about you and your greatness and your awesomeness this morning. Lord, to open up your word and and discover the treasures that are there and what you have to say to us. Lord, you are my God and I'm just your servant. But now, God, as your servant, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that nothing gets in the way, gets in your way, so that you can use me. These are your sheep, Lord. Just give me the grace to declare your word and to teach your word and preach your word to these people who are your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles or whatever you're using for a Bible, turn to John 17. We're into our third week of of a series called Crossroads. And in this series, we've been looking at the last week in Jesus' life prior to the crucifixion. A couple of weeks ago, we, uh, Pastor Mack looked, helped us to look at the triumphal entry and, and when Jesus went into Jerusalem and cleared out the temple. And you know, when he did that, that was pretty much declaring a death to the religious status quo of the time. And then last week, uh, we looked at the, the, the Last Supper where Jesus celebrated communion with his, his apostles. And, and, and we saw Jesus as the servant leader. Uh, a servant who was even willing to sacrifice himself for us. Well, this week, we're going to sneak back up into that upper room where they just had this Last Supper. We're going to sneak up there and see if we can find out why Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for us. We want to look at Jesus' heart. And you know what I think we're going to find when we get a closer look at Jesus' heart? I think we're going to find incredible love and Jesus' desire to show the Father's love to the world. The Passover meal was over and Jesus was giving his final instructions to the 11 apostles who were still there with him. And just as he was closing out those final instructions, he said, as long as you are in this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. Well, then he looked up into the heavens to the Father, and he asked the Father to turn that proclamation of victory into reality. In John chapter 17, this is that prayer. That Jesus prayed to the Father about turning that that victory declaration into reality. And he begins by saying, Father, everything I've done up until now has led up to this time to the cross. Where he would take the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. And he would take them upon himself. And then he would die in our place so that we could have eternal life. And then he said, Father, let's finish this. And to do that, I need you to restore me to what I was before I left heaven. I need you to, 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 to restore me, to, uh, to, to restore in me those, those qualities that I had as God that I gave up in order to enter this world as a man. In verse 3, John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. He's, that's why he says, that's what I'm doing this, so that they, so that you and I can have eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now catch that. Jesus just told us that eternal life is to know. God. Now, let that sink in a little bit, folks, because Jesus didn't take our sins to the cross just so we could go to heaven. He took our sins to the cross because our sins were separating us from God. And by removing that sin barrier that separates us from God, that gives us the opportunity to actually know God. And in knowing God, it's in knowing God that we have life. That's what Jesus said. It's in knowing God that we have that abundant, eternal life that you and I were created for in the first place. And you know what? It's that abundant, eternal life that can only be found, Jesus said, in knowing God. And it's in knowing God that's the only way to satisfy those crucial longings at the very center of our soul. That's what Ecclesiastes was referring to in chapter three, verse 11, where where it says God has planted eternity in the human heart. That's those crucial longings. A 17th century mathematician and scientist named Blase Pascal referred to those crucial longings as a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. When I first became a Christ follower, my life changed. There was a load of guilt that was lifted, and, and, and I, what, the first thing I noticed was I had a new ability to love Patsy, even when she was being unlovable. Now, I know y'all have never seen her when she's being unlovable, but she can sometimes, not, not very often. You know, but every now and then, she can be unlovable. And I noticed a change that I was able to love her then. It, it, and it was like my whole life was on a new path, a right path. But you know what, what, folks? It would have been a real mistake for me to say the moment that I invited Jesus to come into my life, now I know God. I couldn't say that. Any more than the night I put a wedding ring on Patsy's finger, I could say, I know Patsy. Putting that wedding ring ring on her finger was just the beginning of getting to know Patsy. And asking Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord was just the beginning of getting to know God. It put me on a path to knowing God. But just like in marriage... There's a whole lot of things, the Bible calls them stumbling blocks along the way that can hinder my spiritual journey to know God. And you know what? It's those stumbling blocks that get in the way of us knowing God. That's what Jesus prayed about in this huge prayer in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verse six, Jesus said, I have revealed you you to those have you gave me out of the world. And then in verse nine, he says, I pray for them. Now, the them that he's referring to are these the apostles, the disciples that were still with him in that upper room. But let's go down about, about 10 verses to verse 20. And look what he says here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. It was the message that those guys spread 2,000 years ago that went to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else until finally you got it. It was their message. And right there, Jesus is praying for you and for me. He says, I don't just pray for these guys. I pray for you also. Wow. Now look what he prayed for in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I'm not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. Now the idea here is that God has drawn a line of separation between us and the world, and you, you know what, we, we need a line. Brian and Kathleen, y'all, y'all come up here a second. I need a line. Y'all, y'all come up here. You, you can tell by their posture, they didn't know they were about to do this. Okay, I, I need y'all to, to, to make, I tell you what, let's put that line right, right about here. Make it about a six foot line right right along here. Okay, yeah, stick it down there on the floor. Very good. Thank y'all. I appreciate that. Y'all did y'all did well. But see, see, that's that's what that that's what's happening here. God is uh, G- Jesus is is giving us a picture of of God of uh, of God drawing a line between us and the world and and so so that we are set apart from the world now the idea here is he says father keep them separate from the world keep them on this side of the line oh i'm sorry for y'all that are on the other side of the line okay i'm not asking you to move over here but maybe when we're done you can move move over here he says father keep them on this side of the line, Keep them separate from the world. And then he goes on and he says, and Father, the world is going to hate them. So don't let the world cross that line to get to them. And he said, and the devil's over there. He says, don't let the devil cross that line to get to them. Now let's keep going. Verse 16. And then he says, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. Now, sanctify them, he's saying, set them apart to you, Father. It's being set apart to God so, so that someone's heart and their will and their mind is set apart from the world and devoted completely to God and his, and, and his, and his purposes. So Jesus says, Father, Transform their minds and their wills. Transform everything about them until their thoughts and their wills and their desires conform to your thoughts and your will and your desires until they don't even want the things that they wanted before. Transform them them until they don't even think about the things that they thought about before when they were on the other side of the line. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus, it says, Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And that's the first principle of avoiding the stumbling blocks that might get in the way of us actually knowing God. He says, once you cross the line, Don't look back. And then in Jesus' prayer here in John 17, he gives three reasons not to look back. The first, he says, don't look back because there's nothing back there that's going to satisfy your crucial longings. In fact, he he says, they hate you. Everything over here, because now you belong to God, it hates you. It's not, it, it doesn't want our crucial longings to be satisfied. It's about, about a year ago, I had an opportunity to talk with a young lady who had just come to Lake Hills Church, and, and I asked her about her spiritual journey, and, uh, and she told me, she said, well, you know, I was raised going to church, but then I, I dropped out, and I haven't gone to church in a long time, and I decided that it was time for me to come back, and so I asked her, I, I said, well, well, why did you decide to come back? And with tears in her eyes, she said, because it's not working, how true. You see folks, there's nothing on the other side of that line that can satisfy the crucial longings that you and I have right in here. And Jesus gave another reason not to look back. He says, because the evil one is back there on the other side of the line. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 27, Jesus said, I mean, Paul said, do not give the devil a foothold. You see, there's a lot of things on this side of the line that are appealing. But those appealing things can also give the devil a foothold in our life. And then the third reason that Jesus gave for not looking back, he says, it's because that's not who you are. He said, you're not of this world. You're not of that world. You belong over here. This is who you are now. You know, folks, as a Christ follower, what distinguishes you from everything on the other side of the line is not what you look like. It's not where you work. It's not which school you go to. It's not how much money you make. It's not whether you can sing or not sing. What distinguishes you from everything and the people on the other side of that line is that you belong to God. Now, let's look a little deeper at this. We've seen the first principle of of, getting, of, not, of not running across stumbling blocks, getting them out of the way to knowing God, and that is don't look back. But Jesus gives us another one, but it's kind of hidden in here. We're going to have to go all the way back to John chapter 17, verse three, and look at that verse again, where Jesus said, now this is eternal life that they may know you. That word there, know, is present tense. And you say, so what? Well, in Greek, present tense is continuing action. Now, it wouldn't be good English to say this, but it would be really good Greek to say, this is the word, this is eternal life, that they may keep knowing you. It's a process. You see, we don't suddenly arrive at a place where we know God in his fullness any more than I suddenly arrived at a place where I know Patsy. If you had asked me 10 years after Patsy and I were married, if you had asked me, do you know Patsy? I would have said, well, I'm getting there. If you had asked me 25 years after we were married, how about now, Terry, do you know Patsy? And I would say the same thing. Well, I'm getting there. If you were to ask me today, and we've been married almost 54 years, if you were to ask me today, well, how about now, Terry, do you do you know Patsy? My answer is going to be the same. I'm getting there. Now, folks, if that's if that's true in my relationship with Patsy, how much more is it true with God? You see, that's the second principle of staying on the path to knowing God. Don't quit. Don't quit pursuing God. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, I want to know Christ. Not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So how do we do that? How do we pursue God in order, how do we keep pursuing God in order to know him? You know something folks, in my 50 something years as a a Christ follower, I have come to believe that the most important part of pursuing God is having a regular time with God. And when I say having a regular time with God, that has two parts to it, the Bible and prayer. It's not just the Bible, and it's not just prayer. It's both together. And we have that regular time with God, not so we can check a box and say, had my time with the Lord today, not so that, uh, uh, that we think God will reward us because we had our time with the Lord. I remember spent a number of years ago, my youngest was... Uh, was just starting school out here at the University of Texas, and, and I called her, and in my conversation, I said, I said, so Angie, are you still having your time with the Lord? And she said, Dad, it's, we're having finals. Of course I'm going to have my time with the Lord. She thought God would reward her, I guess, if she, if she had time with the Lord, that all the things she didn't study for, God would bring them to mind. But that's not why we have our time with the Lord. We have our time with the Lord in order to know God. In fact, this is so important that uh, it, toward the end of April, I think it's April the 25th, we're going to have a whole one-hour class here about, about having an effective time with God that includes prayer in the Bible. In fact, it doesn't just include prayer in the Bible. It talks about how to put them together for an effective time with God. And, and by the way, you can find out about that if you go onto our website, lhc.org. If you look under groups and, and, and classes, it talks about it there. You can register. In fact, you're going to need to register. I even believe we're going to have childcare because it's so very important. In fact, Mac was, Pastor Mac was talking to the staff just, what, a couple weeks ago about how important it is to have a regular time with God. And, and that's that big part of keeping this, overcoming the stumbling blocks that would, would keep us from knowing God. Now, we don't have time in the few minutes we have left here to, to talk about all the things we're going to talk about in the class but I want to talk about one, and that's the Bible. The reason I want to do that is because in this prayer, Jesus refers to God's word five times. Five times in his final prayer about us before he goes to the cross, before he goes to Gethsemane. In that final prayer, five different times, he talks about God's word. Now that... It must be pretty important if it's important for us to know God. So important that he mentions it five times. You see folks, the Bible is God's letter to his kids. So we don't read the Bible just to read the Bible. We don't read the Bible just to get information. We read the Bible in order to know how God thinks, what he feels, what he desires. And, and as we read and discover how God thinks and, and, and how he feels and what he desires, then we have an opportunity to adjust our lives to conform to what he thinks and what he desires and what he feels. And the more we adjust our lives to conform to his thinking and his desires, and, and then the less likely it is for us to be lured to what's on the other side of that line and the better able we are to know him. And in knowing him, we begin to satisfy those crucial longings. I want to read how Jesus closes this prayer. It's not up there. So you're just going to have to listen. Jesus said, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. That's Jesus' heart. You see, his heart, his passion, was to show the Father's love to the world who had no idea that the world loves them. He would reveal that love By taking the sins of the world to the cross. Now, Jesus revealed God's love first to his disciples and then to us so that we would have an opportunity to know God. And in so knowing God, to know his love. And that we might then let others know about God's love when they see his love in us. And who knows? Maybe when they see his love in us, they may decide to step over the line and come over here where they also can know God and have those crucial longings satisfied. In just a moment, if you have not had an opportunity to enter That relationship to begin the process of knowing God you can do that it starts by just asking Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says if you confess with your mouth if you say with your mouth Jesus is Lord Jesus I want you to believe my Lord I I want you to be my Lord and then it goes on it says and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you really believe in your heart that Jesus came here and he died on a cross for your sin and God raised him from the dead. And then you say, Jesus, God, I believe that. Now Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord, be my boss. That begins that relationship. That begins the process of knowing God. And you can do that right now. A lot of times I will share with people about how to become a Christ follower. And when I read Romans 10, 9, what I just quoted to you, I will ask them, does that sound like something you want to do? And quite frequently they will say, "Uh, yes, I do. And then I will ask them, when do you want to do that? And sometimes they just kind of look at me because they don't know what, well, I don't know. But a lot of times they will say, what's wrong with now? So I'm going to ask you, if that's something that you think you want to do, if you want to leave the stuff on this side of the line and step over the line where God's people are, where you can begin to know God, where the load of guilt can be lifted, and you can have a new purpose and our path to knowing God and having those crucial longings satisfied, you can do it right now just by saying, Jesus Come into my life and be my Lord. Will you bow your heads? If that's what you would like to do, then just ask God. You can do it. We can whisper it. Just whisper it. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. That's it. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. And if you pray that, if you ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord, he will do that. In fact, he promised to do that. He promised that if you invite him in, he will come in. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. Now, if that was your prayer, I'm going to ask you to just hold up your hand. You're not doing this for me. You're really doing it for God. It's kind of telling God, just hold it, just leave leave it up there for long enough for so that you'll remember this moment when you held your hand up and say, God, Jesus Christ, your son is my Lord now. Hold your hand up to God. Now we have a tradition in this church. When you put your hands down, we put ours together. (laughs)